Hello, this is Lisa LaRose here on Connect to Love on PRNFM, and today I am doubly blessed. I'm always blessed by my wonderful co-host, Michael J. Russ, and we have a very special guest who is always a blessing in my life, um, Dr. Gregory Nicosia, and I know our audience is absolutely going to love you, um, and I know they already love you, Michael. So um, first, I just want to say welcome to you both, and then uh, we'll kick it off. Well, so welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> welcome, Doctor. Hey, welcome, Michael. Good to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, it Absolutely. Is. Um, it is. By the way, there is. Is, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, there, I, was, I was looking at the transformative uh, dash therapy is up, by the way, I should say. Um, Thought energy? Look. Yeah, yeah. Thought uh, energy actually, it's transformative therapy, one of the links that you, that you gave me to uh, Dr. Nicosio, one of Dr. Nicosio's uh, uh, websites. But listen, welcome, and I am looking forward to today's show because it's, um, it's a form of, of, of healing that, uh, and, and psycholog- psychological balance, uh, a wellness, I, I would call it, a, um, to me it's, it's like a, a wellness modality, something that I can uh, go to to maintain um, emotional balance uh, whenever uh, something happens to me that kind of throws me for a second, I can always, uh, I can go to uh, this modality and, and um, it really feels awesome. Uh, and over the day, it feels, and the evening, it even feels more awesome. So I would love to, for you to actually, uh, uh, Lisa, please tell our audience how it is here in PNF, PRNFM, how you came to know of Dr. Nicosia? Well, first, I just want to say, um, Greg is definitely a blessing, not only in my life, but in the lives of so many people. Um, We we speak on this show about finding our path and really discovering our vision and what our purpose is, what our soul's mission here is on earth. And Dr. Nicosia is a licensed psychologist, but not just that. He is... um, one of the most, uh, really, the premier center for energy psychology anywhere for trauma, cognitive dysfunction. He has done so much research and explored so many different avenues in the healing realm. And what I absolutely adore about you, Greg, is that you make healing so simple. I know that if I refer a client to you or refer a friend or even a stranger, that I know that they will receive the absolute most amazing care and transformations in their lives are never, ever the same. They are forever, forever changed. And um, so I would love, um, Dr. Nicosia, if you could possibly just share a little bit about your journey and how you found this path to this amazing healing modality. Sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, I think that talking about blessings, I guess, you know, I would say that I, I grew up in Nirvana and didn't realize it until after I left. And someplace along the line, um, I was in a, a, a bad car accident, and something that helped me was a... Uh, uh, a bioenergetic synchronization therapy. So a chiropractor that I had gone to 
uh, used that. And I was just amazed at how by just placing his hand at different places along the spine and then moving up, he was able to give me a tremendous amount of relief from a, a literally blinding headache that resulted from that automobile accident. And that got me thinking very much along the lines of the body and its energy systems. Um, and then I met a, uh, a friend of mine, Fred Gallo, and he introduced me to uh, Roger Callahan's work. And so I went out to study with Roger in the Palm Springs desert um, so he could teach me what he knew. Uh, it was a $10,000 bill that, uh, that I had to pay to learn, but I was fortunate. I've been blessed with a, a lot of a lot of prosperity in my life, so that was no problem. And that first night that I was with him, I had a dream, and in this dream, I was the leader of an army of energy healers uh, and a teacher of that uh, army of energy healers, and I saw that things unfolded such that my student, student, student was removing one of the perturbations or disturbances from the field of thought. And we all have an overriding field of thought for a species, and we all contribute to it. And when that person balanced that disturbance in the person they were working with, it was the tipping point. And I saw all of humanity morph to a higher level of consciousness at that moment in time. And I woke up thinking that I was grandiose delusional and probably would be locked up if I told people about this dream. Uh, but nonetheless, I decided that I would because I followed that dream um, most of my, you know, adult life. And I helped to, you know, evolve the, the field of energy psychology and um, start the Association for Energy Psychology um, so, you know, I did quite a lot of work with people because I learned from them. And, uh, you know, there are basically three major energy centers, uh, energy systems that we use in energy psychology. We use the meridian system and the tapping therapies sort of go there. The, uh, and that, that's where I started. And then I learned about uh, chakras and biofield interventions as well. And uh, all of those things go into uh, ASEP certification course for doctors or related healthcare practitioners. Um, so there's 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 kind of like uh, EFT, the tapping therapy that I think of as being extremely effective for the common person for the common problem. When you get into deeper levels of problems, then you need to be accessing some other information from the person's body. We often do that by muscle testing. There's other ways to accomplish that as well. Um, and what happens is that talk therapy teaches us how to better cope with the emotional gut-wrenching feeling that we get when we get punched in the gut emotionally. But it doesn't mm -hmm. change that from happening. It just teaches you how do you do it better. And um, all that's very important information Talk therapy doesn't really change the structure of our emotions and what happens. The non-talk therapies, the first one I learned was EMDR and then energy psychology interventions, they actually change the nature 
of the problem because they can resolve the 11th dimensional thought and essentially by balancing that thought it then harmonizes the things that are downstream of it so when 11th dimensional thought energy slows down it precipitates out emotion and then precipitates from there two four dimensional worlds one that's uh, made of waveforms the other that is made of particles and the particle world is what we generally refer, refer to as the real world but it's all real mm-hmm. it's just that uh, we don't necessarily see unless you're a seer <laughs> and right. uh, I, I was blessed to know someone uh, Dorothea Hoover Kramer who passed just a couple years ago and uh, Dorothea was a young girl in Germany and at three years old apparently met Hitler and then bad things happened in Germany and she literally walked out of Germany by being able to see who would help her and so as a young girl little girl she literally got herself out of Germany and um, eventually she became a uh, nurse and uh, was responsible for uh, Healing Touch. She's one of the founders of Healing Touch. It's used by nurses. Wow. Uh, she later became a psychologist. She was also a, a concert pianist and a, and a wonderful wow. artist. So um, <laughs> I, I was blessed to meet Dorothea, who um, was the only person ever told me that I was lazy, in fact. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I would never call you lazy. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but later on, she she also told me that in a past life she was my mother. So then it kind of made sense. <laughs> yeah, oh, really funny. Right, Dorothea uh, was a seer, and so she taught me about uh, chakras and how to move energy in the biofield. And um, sometimes we would teach together. And, and when I was doing things, I feel things more than see them. On rare occasions, I do get to see things. Um, but mostly, um, I guess, more somatic in my orientation towards things. Mm-hmm. And um, well, anyway, all of those things have e- evolved to be where they are today, which is uh, allowing for people to be able to treat themselves quite easily once they learn what to do to help resolve a lot of their stress-related problems, everyday problems, and with a little bit of help from a professional, even uh, you know, a lot of really traumatic experiences. So I, I work with, you know, lots of first responders, doctors, nurses, policemen, firemen. Um, and I work with all kinds of people with all kinds of trauma, from uh, sexual trauma to uh, oh, there's lots of different kinds of trauma. Some are ones we would all recognize. We call them capital T traumas, like when somebody holds a gun to your head. And in fact, I've had that mm-hmm. done a couple times in my life. <laughs> and wow. uh, traumatic. <laughs> uh, sure. But it's nice to have the be able to undo those things. And, and they really do resolve, um, and often very dramatically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, and it's amazing, uh, Greg, that you know you, you met people along your path once you found what it was that was your passion and what your soul's calling was. It's the universe just aligned and brought individuals that could help support that journey. And 
that's a really amazing and, and beautiful thing. I think that's uh, one of the things that we all aspire to is to be able to find what our truth is and to live that truth, and you certainly do. And, and all of the different things that uh, make thought field therapy so unique and so different. And I was uh, fortunate enough to to study with you and one of the things and I, I used it in my practice and I can only say that things uh, show up that you never in a million years I think in talk therapy do people even realize exist under the sub levels of their subconscious could you speak a little bit about that and and uh, as you notice working in the biofield and the uh, like working with the chakras how things get buried, like how traumas, even if it's not your own, you witness something that could be traumatic that can impact even simple things in your life. Well, yeah. Um, As I said, traumas, I think of as small T traumas that some people would say, well, that's a lot of people have that happen and that doesn't bother people. You know, it shouldn't bother you is what they say. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, make the person feel guilty about being traumatized by something that other people think, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. Why are you so upset? And uh, and then again, you know, they're the kind of traumas that we would all agree with when we work with soldiers or, or policemen and people who are shot. Um, it's interesting that, frankly, most policemen don't really fire their weapon, uh, you know, hardly at all, if ever, in their career. So when they mm-hmm. do shoot, kill someone, if that happens, it's often extremely traumatic for the police officer, um, which is something so. I hadn't really thought of until I started seeing police officers who were in that kind of a situation. Um, but what happens is that a trauma stops information processing. Uh, the amount of noradrenaline has a, a, a U-shaped function in terms of memorability and information processing. So the more adrenaline or, or think norepinephrine in the brain, the more important things are and the more important they are to remember. But when you get a certain amount of that chemical in your brain and it exceeds a critical number, all of a sudden it just stops information processing and things get stored in their perceptual form. And then when you do remember them, it's like you're just experiencing it all over again. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what a flashback is. A person's actually reliving the experience as a perception, as sensations and perceptions, not really being able to make sense of it. Um, So what we do with energy work is to reorder that information and allow it to be further processed um, and as it is, it changes almost in an instant. There's, as you go through the therapy, like nothing is changing, and then suddenly just in one moment, it seems like things change dramatically. Mm-hmm. And suddenly people can see the event, even if it was you know, from the Vietnam War, they can see it as if they're looking at it from today's perspective, as opposed to reliving the experience again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Information is stored throughout the entire body. Most people just think about the brain, but in fact, uh, let me see. 
I'm sorry. Um, are you still with me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. I'm, I'm having a patient call in, and I'm just going to let them, I'll call them back when we're finished. Um, information is stored in, in all of the crystalline structures of our body. Um, and that means collagen, uh, fibers, that means bones, any crystalline structure. And then our uh, our being, we're really light creatures, light beings, and we kind of access information throughout our body like scanning it with a, a laser on a CD. And we do that much more rapidly than uh, the synaptic junctions in the brain can function. So when I first started as a psychologist, we used to say that the brain had a brain. We had to try to explain things that we didn't see explainable based upon what we knew and the speeds involved in synaptic junctions, how people could do perceptual defense and change the thresholds for perception of information before they actually were exposed to the information. And uh, so that, that's a well-known perceptual vigilance and perceptual defense, a well-known phenomena that, that weren't really explainable at all, uh, but now tend to be much make much more sense now that we have a, a different kind of understanding of where our memories are stored. So our memories are all throughout our bodies. And that then begins to make some sense when uh, you recognize that uh, different organs and different systems have different emotions attached to them. And, uh, for example, the large intestine is something that harbors guilt. And, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you shine a laser at the uh, point on the index finger, on the thumb side of the index finger, um, that's the point that travels along the meridian and goes into the nucleuses of the cells in the large intestine. If you restrict that by guilt long enough, then you get a dysfunction in the intestine. So, you know, for example, I had a woman who came to see me years ago, 20 some, 25 years ago, a, a, a handsome woman in her late 20s, and uh, she was feeling very guilty about things that she was doing. Well, she was a, a drug company rep, and, and that she was repping a, a drug in a way that she didn't agree with. Uh, and she was feeling very guilty, and she's having a lot of GI tract distress. And I, I told her, I said, you know, look, as long as you're feeling guilty because you believe you're doing something wrong, um, there's no way to overcome that on a permanent basis. Maybe you get some temporary relief. But, you know, I said, if you continue to do what you believe yourself, and this is on your own judgment, your own belief, nobody else's, you continue to do that, you're going to continue to feel guilty and have problems. And uh, I did teach her how to do a little tapping to give her some, you know, minor relief, but I knew that it wouldn't make a large change unless she made a change. And then I saw mm. her maybe four or five years ago, and she was wearing a colostomy bag, still representing oh the, uh, the drug company. And, uh, you know, the, the point there is that, that when she was young and talked to me, she says, I'm in golden handcuffs. She said, you know, I'm making over $100,000 a year. I have a bachelor's degree in English. Where am I going to make that kind of money? So she's in oh. golden handcuffs and stayed doing what she was doing. And eventually the guilt restricted the flow of energy to that 
part of her body, and the dysfunction became, you know, necessary to resect it and have a, a colostomy bag. So, wow. uh, you know, if, if we harbor negative emotions and don't do anything about them, their associated organ or organ systems are going to eventually develop disease processes. And one of the things that's wonderful about energy psychology is we can remedy those kinds of uh, dysfunctions if you're also willing to make the changes in your life that are necessary for, you know, to, to discontinue the buildup of that guilt or anger or rage or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? That's so. so very true. So very true. The, um, would you mind just sharing for our audience uh, what some of the other emotions or some of the other organ points are? Because I, I'm sure that they're curious. I mean, <laughs> they certainly can sure. go to and learn more about it. But um, I'd, I'd love for you just to, and whatever insights that you want that you feel led to, to share with our audience would be amazing. Yeah, well, uh, one of the most useful places on our bodies is, is uh, the triheater meridian. And basically, we use a point that's one of the few points that we uh, don't use the fingers or toes for. Um, but it's a point that's in between the bones that go to your pinky and your ring finger, right above the knuckles there. And if you simply tap on that point, uh, it activates um, the adrenals and, and um, it's the point that's for pain and sadness. It's like pain and sadness or pain and depression are two sides of a coin. So that mm-hmm. people, I see a lot of people who have chronic pain, and I've often said there's, I've never met a pain that I couldn't reduce by 50% or more. That's <laughs> beautiful. Uh, you know, um, just mm-hmm. by using that point. And I've had people who have been sent to me from Cleveland Clinic, from the hospitals here, you know, with pain that can't be relieved by uh, no matter how much narcotics the person is taking. And, uh, you know, I I think I've actually put out a YouTube a long time ago about a woman who uh, just used that tapping and within a few weeks was totally off narcotics after having a a failed back surgery and so forth and so on. So just Mm -hmm. tapping on that point, um, you know, and focusing on pain, which is what we don't normally do. Normally when we have pain, we don't want to focus on it. But if we actually focus on it, you have somebody or yourself touch the place where the pain is, you'll see that the pain will often travel as you're tapping that place so that the mm-hmm. pain might be, uh, well, it, it, it'll, it will travel someplace and it's what it's doing is it's traveling back towards its origin so we often find the pain someplace in our body that's really hurting and as we're doing this we seem to see the pain change and it changes locations intensity it can change its texture its color um, you know any aspect of the way a person perceives the pain and uh, so that's a very useful extraordinarily useful point if, if I could, if I could step in just a second, just to clarify that, uh, Doctor, you're talking about the back of hand point. Yeah, back of right. hand. Okay, all, right. right, back of hand point. 
Um, I'm just looking at a chart here, and I'm just marking it off. That's why um, something that we can make our our, our uh, audience aware of. But um, thank you for that clarification. Sure, sure. That's often uh, also referred to as a the gamut spot, and it's used in the nine gamut treatment, which is tapping there, close your eyes open, look down to the right, the left, circle one way, the other way, hum, count, and hum. And we use that essentially to activate different areas of the brain, and we sort of sandwich that in between the tapping treatments. So uh, mm-hmm. normally we would say that there's a, an affirmation of some sort, uh, and EFT uses a general one, which is very good. Uh, you know, I deeply love and accept myself even though I have this problem, or even though I have this problem, I, I deeply love and accept myself. doesn't matter which way you say it. Uh, but there are a number of these, first steps, which treat different psychoenergetic reversals. And and so now we're getting into a little more of a professional level of understanding and treatment. Um, So there can be a a reversal that blocks your ability to perceive things. It reverses the perception of things so that things that are related to the issue that are good for you feel bad when you're doing them, and things that are related to the issue that are bad for you actually feel good when you're doing them. And so you can see a lot of high-functioning people who are just stuck in a particular area, and that's because they have this psychoenergetic reversal or psychological Mm -hmm. reversal. And uh, that can have to do with safety uh, or um, possibility. So there's a whole bunch of things like that. But back to the tapping points, The ones that are very useful on the middle fingernail on the side toward the thumb, it used to be called circulation sexuality, uh, also known as the great constrictor, because it it will act in cases of constriction of the blood vessels, for example. And uh, it has to do with how a man or woman feels about themselves as a man in a very general way. So... You might feel really bad if you don't have it. You lost your job and you can't sort of bring home the groceries for your family. You're feeling really bad about yourself. Or it could be uh, very, very narrow as opposed to general. It might be, you know, sexual dysfunction, impotency, uh, frigidity, things like that. It has a lot to do, therefore, about the way we think about ourselves. And mm-hmm. when, when we're activating that point, we can essentially think about or make a statement like, um, I renounce the past experiences and events that have contributed to this problem, and I recall my life energy from all of those times and places. So that particular statement paired with the activation of that meridian can make an incredible difference of literally giving and bringing back to yourself energy that you've left along the way in terms of how you feel about yourself. Um, That's cute. You know, so each beautiful. point you, where you're talking about love, so the little fingernail, again, on the side toward the thumb, the pinky nail, is the heart meridian. And there we have uh, anger and love. So... Uh, we generally first treat the anger, and then we want to replace it with love. So after thinking about and 
know, somebody you're angry with, and I always have a reason that I make up if I don't have a good reason for why I forgive people. Um, <laughs> so maybe one of these days I'll share that with you, but that's maybe not for this uh, this place. I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do I? Um, um, yeah. Sure, Mike, you got a question? I, um, I was thinking, you, you had said there, I renounced the past events that have led to this problem. And what was the second been, part of that? I recall my life energy from all of those times and places. Beautiful. That's, yeah, it's so beautiful. And it's, and it's so uh, important. I, I just wanted to share, when I took your class and what can be so surprising about the work you do, because we, we you know, sometimes we, we're so smart, we're stupid, right? I, I just laugh at myself. And when I was in your class, I, you know, I was thinking about what do I want to work on? And, and I have this desire to write a book. And, I, and when I was going through what blocks, I was surprised because the main block for me was it, was it safe for others if I write this book? It was so surprising to me. And I thought, not that it was safe for me if I wrote the book, but if it was safe right. for others. Sure. Yeah. Uh, good for me and good for others is a commonplace uh, for people to get reversed uh, because, you know, when you care about other people and you know, we get this, uh, I don't know why these things happen, okay? I just look at them as magnetic phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. When I was studying uh, thoughts, you, you can use a subatomic quantum interference device called the squid detector, and it, it measures uh, a very sensitive magnetic measuring device, and there's not that many of them, and they're deep underground to shield them from other kinds of magnetic influences. But basically, you know, what we find is that every thought has a triphasic magnetic uh, direction so that they start out a thought with a north pole facing anterior front ways. Then it reverses a few milliseconds later, and then it reverses back or not. And my thinking is that when it fails to reverse back to an anterior direction, that to me I believe is associated with this psychoenergetic reversal. So even though people will want to make sense of it, and it's easy to make sense of it for people, you can give them a reason why, but the reality is that it's probably just the strictly magnetic phenomenon that's causing it. So we don't really have to Mm -hmm. beat ourselves up for the fact that we have them. Um, And and that may have to do with yeah, Shock. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, I, and the other thing I love about this work is that you can't, a lot of times people can't even find their problem after. They can't even remember what it was. So would you <laughs> talk a little bit about that if possible? Because I, I, love, well, sure. I love it. It's just so amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, you know, very often people have a picture that goes along with their disturbance. Um, and then when, and, and I've treated a l- number of people who can't actually even talk at all about the problem because just talking about it, de- they decompensate very quickly. 
So, and, and you know, and they're embarrassed or ashamed or afraid or whatever. So all they have to do is think about the problem. And then you do the, uh, a treatment and, you know, you bring the discomfort levels down from like a nine or a 10 on a scale to a zero. And you ask the person uh, about their problem at that point. And, and generally, I can tell them something about the nature of the problem by what it took to resolve it. And they talk about their problem then at length without, a, without any difficulty. And if you ask them to go back to the picture that they started with, uh, they can't get the picture. They can't find it. I love that. And, yeah. <laughs> so, so amazing. When we, we take information out of memory... Um, the only time we ever remember anything accurately is the very first time we remember it. Because after that, when we sort of put it back into memory storage, we've changed it by what happened during the time that we had it in our consciousness. So when you balance a, a thought that's so disturbing, maybe representative of a, uh, something that happened, um, and you get that thought balanced and you put it back, then when the person goes back to remember it, they remember it without a disturbance. And so it doesn't even seem to them like it's the same thing, like they can't find it anymore. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like the thought always felt. And that happens very often. Very often. It's true. And you it's don't help them find it again. <laughs> I know it, it is so. It is so amazing, and you know, you were the president of uh, ASEP Association for Energy Psychology for many years, and in fact, your your vision and your dream did come true because now, I, I'm not sure how many thousands of professionals that you have impacted and trained so that they're spreading this work throughout the world. It, it's just, it's amazing to me um, the things that. The lives that you have touched, you know, from the veterans that have healed from post-traumatic stress disorder, um, even to, to, to simple things. I mean, we, you know, we can have anxiety. And, and as you said, it, a lot of people make light of somebody else's problem and then there's shame with it. And, and there's a lot of that. I'm, you know, we, we speak a lot on the show about self-worth and really uh, seeing your own inner light. And I think that this work really does help people reconnect to that. Um, you know, the, the Chinese mapped out the meridian system over 5,000 years ago. And, yeah. it, and when you really think about it, and, and I love what you were saying, speaking to about the crystals, because I didn't realize that, but I do know, like, with the piezoelectric effect, they talk about... Uh, they're actually being crystals in the pineal gland, and that 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 is how um, we're illuminated. And uh, I, I don't know is is there do you have knowledge of that or studies or uh, I've just been touching on it just briefly. Uh huh. Well, I guess one thing that I would say is that um, working with energy changes the person who's doing the work more than even it does the person who's receiving the treatment, even though the treatments are often astounding. Um, mm -hmm. You become more aware of, the more you 
become aware of the fact that you're an energetic creature, that your thoughts and emotions are real but they're not physical, that they're outside of space and time, the more you become aware of your own spirit and your spiritual nature. Um, and, you know, you begin to evolve, I think, in understanding that each and every person is just an incredible, um, incredible device. Uh, our bodies are, are just designed to send and receive information uh, throughout the cosmos. And we're all, in, every one of us on the planet is unbelievably uh, wondrous. But we aren't taught that so often. And, and in fact, what we did when we uh, looked at children, we see that children under the age of three are perceiving things in the etheric, in the waveform. Wow. Um, and, and that's been demonstrated. And, and somehow most children lose their connection to that. You know, you, as a child, maybe you see angels or you see something and, and your parent says, you know, oh, that's just your imagination. You know, or don't worry about that. That's just your imagination. There's no such things as, as boogeyman or something, you know. And, and as a child, you're actually seeing these things, but you get the indication that and that's not a good idea to be seeing those things because, you know, the adult people aren't, <laughs> and they're telling you basically mm -hmm. it's not real, you know. So get with the program. And and so what what you discover is that as you work more with your own body's energy system, um, you become more tuned into energy and begin to recognize that our intuitions are extraordinarily accurate, but they just don't make sense so that you can't give a logical, rational explanation for something that you absolutely know is true. And in our world today, if you can't be logical and rational about explaining why this is happening, well, then you must be nuts. So, <laughs> <laughs> so people tend to rely on their intuition, which is what, they, what we really ought to be relying on more and more because um, logic and science gives us successive approximations of the truth. Intuitively knowing things gives us a direct apprehension of the truth, even though we can't mm. explain it. Can I ask a question? Um, of course. Doctor, what would you, in the case of uh, children who are perceiving an etheric and then they get it pretty much uh, told that uh, they're wrong and there's no validation for what they're seeing and it's, it's all, you know, made up, what would... What would you say? Uh, what would you say a parent should uh, communicate to their child who comes to them with that kind of um, comment? Okay. Well, first, I would say that I don't like the word "should," so I think that's just a guilt-laden well, word. I think we might want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we might they? How to... might they respond? I should say. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm being picky, but that word always gets you know? to me. I know. So. Um, uh, you know, we all have choices as, as to how to respond. And I think it's, uh, I know, like one woman that I work with, and her child has been raised when he sees things, he sees things that are going to happen. 
And she just says in her family, that's his special gift. And as he's grown up, it becomes really clear that he's very much in tune with that gift. And he's 100% right. What he sees happening has documented, happened, and happens virtually all the time. Amazing. Yeah. Encouragement. So I think encouragement. Acknowledgement and encouragement. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, your, it's your special gift. Like, wow, okay, that's really cool that you see yeah. that angel up there in the corner. You know, that's your special gift. Or if you're, his special gift was is seeing something that's going to happen, you know. Uh, and, you know, he's this young boy that I'm talking about is now uh, maybe six. And, you know, he's been encouraged for years to, like, okay, that's good, interesting, you know. And sure enough, it comes to pass, and they say, yeah, that's your special gift. So um, if you look at Dr. Russell Targ's work about remote viewing, you begin to see that each and every one of us has the ability to develop our psychic powers to unbelievable uh, heights and accuracy if we use it and we uh, spend years developing it. It's become more and more and more accurate. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if you ever want to look about the uh, uh, remote viewing and the Stanford Research Institute and how the CIA took it over, read Russell Targ's uh, books about that. Yeah, Very I was watching the like that the other day. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, Very yeah. Fascinating. Right. We've done some some shows talking about resonance and vibration and and. Uh, Michael, Dr. Nicosia is a musician and and grew up with music. Michael was a drummer. And, uh, you know, I I think that thoughts, you know, people don't consider them having a, a vibratory note. Um, could you speak to vib- like vibration and resonance and, and what you've discovered in your in your research? Well, yeah. I mean, what I would say is that... Uh, the speed or frequency of something um, is really a, a measurement of vibration, a measurement of the oscillation of, of something like a, a wave form. Um, thought being in a 10-dimensional reality has one of the shortest wavelengths of anything you know, far shorter than we're able to actually generate uh, mechanically or, or tap into. So uh, each thought has its own characteristic form, uh, and uh, hmm. the higher the frequency of the thought, the uh, in a sense, pure it is, and um, it derives emotion. Uh, i trying to think how to explain this. If, if you were to think of, like, sunlight streaming down and mm-hmm. it would hit a filter, and if you just thought of the filter, which is 11 dimensions of thought, but we just think of it in three dimensions as having lots of rows and columns and they're all 
nicely ordered and lined up in rows and columns, then essentially mm -hmm. the light can pass through that un unobstructed. If the rows and columns aren't all nice and straight and there's some, you know, outliers that are in between where the rows should be, and so now that light begins to get uh, hit those things and begins to go in other directions. And as it flows down from thought frequencies to emotional frequencies, it then activates the negative emotions in, in that field. And as things continue to slow down until the energy is so slow that it's physical matter, um, everything that happens and manifests in our physical world has passed through these fields of thought and emotion before it actually becomes concrete right. reality or experience. So amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember, and this is from many years ago, uh, you sharing the story of looking at sunlight underwater. Do you, uh, would you share a little bit about drown-proofing and, and that yeah. story? Because it's so amazing to me. This was, uh, I guess it would be like 1968, 69 maybe, one of those two years. Anyway, I was uh, out with my girlfriend. I grew up on the, the water, and uh, so we decided, you know, on a nice day, beautiful day, we went out to uh, Red Cedar Point, and uh, we eventually fell asleep. And I had just beached my boat and uh, really wasn't concerned about time or space or anything at that moment and when we awoke my boat was about 50 yards offshore the tide had come up and it had floated out and um, well I'm a really strong swimmer so I just jumped in the water go swim out to my boat and the, the farther that I swam the farther the boat was going out the more it got away from the protection of the sandbar and so the faster it went, and eventually I'm about a mile or so offshore, and my boat is still about 50 feet or so in front of me, and I was totally exhausted. Yeah. I just could not lift my arms up anymore, and I started to sink underneath the water. And uh, as I sunk down below the water, my arms floated up and my legs came apart, and then I was able to have just enough energy to bring my arms down to my side, push my legs together, got my head above the water. For just a moment, I could see and took a breath, and then I went totally limp again. And I kept doing that uh, for a few hours, actually, until my cousin came by. But the interesting thing to me was that it was so incredibly peaceful to me. Uh, I felt like I was home. I looked mm -hmm. up and... All of this sparkling sunlight filtering down off the water and making these incredible kind of, I don't know, patterns of sparkling light all around you. Um, and, and later on, I, I read a book. It's called Proof of Heaven by... Um, mm -hmm. uh, Even Alexander. Oh, Even Alexander, right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in his description of his experience, when he comes essentially to the place uh, where, let's say, he knows God or meets God, that space is like this sparkling, shimmering place. 
And when I read that, I said, oh, my gosh, no wonder that feels like home. Because mm. it, home is light. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> it's so really, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never yeah. forget that. And anyway, years later, that technique uh, was called drown-proofing. And it's, it's uh, the way that you can stay alive in the ocean uh, for a really long time uh, without drowning, which is a good thing. That was awesome that you experienced that and intuited that at that particular point in time. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's gorgeous. As I uh, said, I grew up in town. I just didn't realize it until I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens. Uh, thank you for for commenting about the PTSD. That was my one of my one of my questions. I had uh, um, uh, wanted to ask about uh, veterans and and how this is how your techniques can be used to and are how widely they're being used to help yeah. uh, people with PTSD. Can you comment about that? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm overjoyed to see the spread of this technique throughout the world. Um, you know, I did go to many places around the world teaching doctors for years, even though in the beginning I was certainly thought of more like a quack than anything else. But uh, so were a couple of the other guys in the, the field at the time because we were just doing things without any scientific evidence that it worked. Right. But fortunately, yeah. today we have lots. Mm -hmm. of and... Uh, this, the information has, you know, uh, been diffused now. It's, uh, a lot of a lot of work in Australia. Uh, they're getting it in the universities there to teach as part of the curriculum for, uh, you know, for psychologists and therapists, which I think is mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. Um, and it's an adjunct. I also like to use eye movement very often with working with trauma, but not to try to resolve the issue, but oftentimes to find where the information is that's being blocked from consciousness. And then once you find that, then you can use the energy work to very quickly uh, change the structure of that information and therefore change the disturbance that goes along with it. Um, so in, in terms of its impact and effectiveness, there's, you know, nothing better than the combination of those two things. And, uh, the energy work is just incredibly rapid in terms of changing things, uh, so that really, you know, uh, Roger Callahan was once laughed off the stage at an American psychological meeting because he claimed that he could cure a phobia in five minutes. And the, the, uh, <laughs> that was such an outrageous claim that he literally got uh, laughed off the stage. And uh, as a result of that, uh, he basically said, the heck with psychologists and the people, and he went his own direction and sort of... Uh, did his work, and that's why he asked ten thousand dollars to teach what he knew to people. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as it turns out, though, um, Roger Callahan was a really brilliant guy. Like most 
brilliant men. He had two sides to the coin of him. And uh, he and I had a falling out. And then years later, we had the resolution of that where I was able to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, because without him, I wouldn't be where I am. And, uh, Isn't that nice? Yeah, so it came, came yeah. full circle. Yeah. Yeah. But, I do, you know, it's so interesting that you comment about when, you, when you're as uh, the giver, as the person who is working with somebody, you're receiving. And I think that's really beautiful. I, I find you always to be so peaceful. I mean, there, and there's just, and, and no matter what comes your way, you, you just take it all in with ease and grace. And, and I think that's really a testament. And we were, uh, we've talked in the past about Ho'oponopono and, and Len uh, Q and, and how when he really looked at healing himself, that is when he made such a difference and such an impact. And I, I really think it's a wonderful model. I, you know, people always say, well, you know, if we can change the world. Well, you change the world by looking at yourself. Could you speak to that uh, subject for just a, a few moments? Well, we're all contributing to a field that overrides our species. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake, Nobel Prize winner, I think twice mm-hmm. actually, um, you know, wrote about um, the morphic field, which is a field that each species has. Now, for humans, we call that the thought field. And it's where information from all of the members of the species is stored and accessible to all other members of the species. And there were, oh, lots of uh, experiments with rats that went on for 25 years to show that uh, rats that learned to do something that initially took 300 trials and then took 100 trials, and then somebody else started another one over in Scotland with the same species but not related to the actual uh, rats that were being used as subjects. And they, they started the experiment at the same level of proficiency that the ones who had been generations who had been trained over in the U.S. And then... And, and and you saw that, and then a third person years later started another colony and experiment, and now they're in Australia. They only took like seventy some trials. <laughs> That's amazing. With humans too, and he uh, offered fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand, I think, actually, as a a reward for the person who could devise the best experiment to show that this happened with humans. And, of course, he was the person who had the best experiment. So he showed a a hidden figure on the BBC, and he outlined the hidden figure in in yellow so that everybody could see it. You know, find the boy sitting in the tree eating an apple kind of thing. You know, what what we do with kids? And, And lo and behold, when he took an equivalent figure that wasn't shown, uh, the one that had been shown, and presumably, you know, millions of people saw it on the BBC, uh, had gotten into the thought field, and it was recognized in less than half the time that the other one, which used to be equivalent. And, mm-hmm. you know, then it was criticized to say, well, these people probably saw it, they don't remember seeing it. So anyway, he went other places in the world 
that the BBC doesn't reach, did the same experiment and got the same results. So <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so there's no original <laughs> thought is what you're saying, right? <laughs> right. So, so we, all, we all have access to this information. Whether we know it or not, it influences us, and we can use or learn to use access to that information uh, to know things that have been known and perhaps forgotten about. Um, I tend to think, you know, in, in these days of the Internet, you go and do research, and there's very little that you can find on the Internet in, in terms of hard research that's before 1980. And I think about all the incredible work that was done in the 50s on the magnetic aspects of people and uh, you know how things were shown that this reversal in polarization that happens at night when you sleep compared to the day, if you stay in your nighttime uh, orientation if, for whatever reason, and then you find that uh, you know, 98% of the cellularly diagnosed cancer people had reverse polarizations. But when they were awake, they had their nighttime polarization as well, just never mm. reversed to its daytime. And, and so, I mean, there's such incredible information that was done by really good scientists here in the U.S. and all over the world that is almost lost today to people who are sort of using, you know, if you use AI, they're going to not find that information, put it to you that way. Mm. Well, yeah, they're not going to be able to access... <laughs> You're talking about not accessing the, the morphic field, so to speak. Yeah, not accessing right. the morphic yeah. field and not, not accessing information that exists. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, just for a second, if you could speak to um, how one, is there a, a, a process of alpha state or just focus or being quiet or what would be the, the logical way to... Um, uh, access that field if there is, if there's ever been any discussion about that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a place that's called theta wave dominance, which we pass through on our way to sleep, which is delta. Four cycles a second or less, right. you're sleeping. Right. And, and four to eight cycles, you're in a place that you're not asleep, but you're not awake. Right. And uh, we often realize that sometimes you fall asleep and you suddenly have like almost an electric jolt passes through you. Now you're oh, wide awake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> that jolt, I yes, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I hit my girlfriend in the head with that the other day. <laughs> that jolt. <Okay>. It was, <laughs> didn't you realize I had done it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when that happens, you recognize that you weren't asleep but you weren't awake like you are now. You were someplace in between. And it's a place where our right hemisphere becomes dominant. That means that our conscious experience of the world is being processed through our right hemisphere as opposed to the left hemisphere, which is the way we normally are processing information. So if you're in a theta wave brain state and you're perceiving and understanding the world through the right hemisphere, which is much more uh, intuitive. It doesn't have time. It doesn't really have much of any language. Um, it's about, you know, intonation, inflection, which is where most of the meaning of utterances come from, by the way. 60% of the utterances 
meaning comes from intuition and intuition, not from the dictionary meaning. In any case, that's the state that if you learn to develop that and hold yourself in that state, you can then be perceiving things essentially intuitively, which allows you to access your connections to more information wow. and information. Yeah. So that's wow. what I'd recommend so we can, you do. So we can connect to love that way too? Is that, uh, if that's where, where our intention is? Well, um, hmm. well I haven't thought about <laughs> connection love in a way state. Okay. Question. Well, you know, yeah, we can always save that. I'd love to have you have you back, Dr. Nicosia, and I just want to give our our audience here on Connect Love on PRNFM uh, your website, and it's thoughtenergy.net, and it's thoughtenergy.net, and you can learn a lot about um, what some of uh, Greg's amazing work and and also about energy psychology. I think we're just scratching the surface. I know, like, Michael is probably you know, just like I am. It's like eager to learn, and, and it's such a gift to have you on. And I know it's it's just our our time always flies. I don't even know where an hour goes because it's I you know we just I I feel like we're just touching the surface, and it's so important and so valuable. Good. Yeah, I, I said you know. I understand. It's the, we actually, Lisa, you and I uh, talk for hours, so it's easy to do. I know. <laughs> you guys, you, you two can. could. Talk, I know you two could talk for hours. It's, this has been phenomenal. I do appreciate you taking the time um, out of your life to to spend an hour with us, uh, and hopefully hey, we can have you back again. I hope so too. Yeah. I, I enjoy talking to you both. It's marvelous. Yeah. It's wonderful. Any, anything you want to leave our audience with, and then we'll sign off. Well, the one thing I would say is if you're really interested in energy psychology, go to energypsych.org, which is the uh, Association for Comprehensive Energy website, and you'll find there access to hundreds of research articles and uh, also how to find practitioners and all sorts of interest. Excellent. That's really the most important thing, how to find practitioners people you've trained in this uh, modality. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, abundant blessings to you all. Thank you.